Hello there, I'm Tyler Griffin, and this is Scripture Study Insights by Scripture Central. Today, 2 Nephi chapters 1 and 2. It's kind of fun to only have two chapters where we can uh, dive deep and, and explore more in depth. Before we begin with the scriptures, the, the concept, the scripture study idea that I wanted to share today is this idea of are we just reading the scriptures to learn the history or to learn the stories of these people or does that become a means to the end of coming to understand God better, to, to discover attributes of the Savior Jesus Christ better, to be able to more fully connect with heaven in our own life. So, what I wanted to, to show is in, in the lectures on faith in Kirtland at the School of the Prophets, Joseph Smith, Sidney Rigdon, and other leaders of the church would prepare those, those early missionaries to go out and preach the gospel by going through the seven lectures on faith. A couple of those lectures talk about the characteristics the perfections and the attributes of God. Now, I always remember because of CPA, the characteristics, perfections, and attributes of God. And the reality is, is if you read uh, the all of the lectures on faith, you will find that they, they teach that there are three things that are necessary in order for you to have faith unto life and salvation. Faith in God unto life and salvation, the kind of faith that will actually propel you forward to becoming more like Christ. And the first thing is required that you have a belief in God. The second is that you have a knowledge of his characteristics, perfections, and attributes. And the third is that you have a knowledge that the course that you're pursuing in life is in accordance with God's will. So, what we're going to focus on today is this middle uh, requirement in order for me to have the kind of faith that will help me progress and actually become more like God, which is a correct idea of the characteristics, perfections, and attributes of God. And every time you open the scriptures, you can look for the Savior on every single page, either through his names, his titles, or through the more abstract things, the symbols, the people who embody certain attributes of Christ, or the objects that become these object lessons in a metaphorical way to teach us more about his attributes and his personality traits, because that's who we're trying to become like. So, with those lenses, let's dive in to 2 Nephi chapter 1 and watch how quickly this becomes apparent. So, Nephi opens up this new book explaining that uh, his father Lehi spake many things unto his children, his posterity, and he rehearsed unto them how great things the Lord had done for them in bringing them out of the land of Jerusalem. So, as Father Lehi comes to the uh, end of his life, this is 
these are his final teachings to his children and to his posterity, you'll notice how he, how he shifts his focus away from just what his children are doing and what they're experiencing as a family, and he's putting a lot more focus on God and on these eternal aspects of our existence. So look at verse 1. And now it came to pass that after I, Nephi, had made an end of teaching my brethren, our father Lehi also spake many things unto them and rehearsed unto them how great things the Lord had done for them in bringing them out of the land of Jerusalem. His focus is fixed on the Savior here and pointing out how, how the Lord has preserved them. Now look at verse 2, and he spake unto them concerning their rebellions upon the waters and the mercies of God in sparing their lives that they were not swallowed up in the sea. So if you were marking these, these attributes or characteristics or perfections of God, you've got the stated principle right on the page, the mercies of God, but you also have the implied attributes of God. This idea that God is not an angry, vengeful being who's up in the, the heavens waiting to strike us down with lightning bolts, because if that's who he were, you look at the first part of verse 2, their rebellions and their struggles, he should have destroyed them, but he didn't. He extended mercy to them. He preserved them. Look at verse 3, and he also spake unto them concerning the land of promise which they had obtained. How merciful the Lord hath been, had been in warning us that we should flee out of the land of Jerusalem. So, his mercy to preserve in verse 3, his mercy to give this, this new land of possessions or to preserve them on the waters you see all these different uh, aspects of God's mercy and his kindness and his grace. And then you jump down to verse 5, but said he, notwithstanding our afflictions, we have obtained a land of promise, a land which is choice above all other lands, a land which the Lord God hath covenanted with me should be a land for the inheritance of my seed. So again, instead of just reading black words on a white page or words on a screen, of a smart device, if we dive into those words and ask the question repeatedly, what can this teach me about what kind of being God is, because that's who I want to grow up, spiritually speaking, to become more like, then your scripture study time no longer needs to be this side duty as a member of the church where you check a box and say, okay, now I don't need to feel guilty because I read my scriptures today, but it becomes this glorious quest of, wow, I can't wait to open up my scriptures today to discover what I can about what kind of a being God is and what kind of a being I want to become more like. And the more you do this, the more you see his power, his knowledge, his grace, his ability to create, his willingness to work with and forgive and to, to guide, it, it, it becomes more real and it's a, it becomes a part of our quest on the covenant path. So, it would be a fun exercise to now take the rest of chapter 1 in 2 Nephi with marking pencil or, or the, the journaling in hand to look for and note as many attributes of God as you can find. I'll, I'll just very quickly jump through a couple of verses here as, as more examples. We've talked a lot about his mercy. Look at verse 8, behold, it is wisdom 
that this land should be kept as yet from the knowledge of other nations. So there's wisdom in God, this, he knows all things, to preserve this land. If you look in verse 10, you're going to see the creation aspect of our God and all the things that he's created and his power and the means whereby he keeps things moving forward because of his infinite goodness. You know, these are things that it's, it's one thing to know that God exists or to have a belief that God exists. It's another to have a correct idea of his attributes. One of my favorite um, quotes on this subject comes from C.S. Lewis where he says the following, there have been men before who got so interested in proving the existence of God that they came to care nothing for God himself, as if the good Lord had nothing to do but to exist. I hope that as we, we dive more into this study of the Book of Mormon this year, that you find a lot more than just the names and the titles of God, but you find why he exists and how he exists and how he feels about us, who he really is, his identity is your future capacity if you're on this quest to become like him on the covenant path. So, as you read these, these scriptures, that's one way to, to get more out of your scripture study. One other thing I wanted to point out from chapter 1 is his beautiful allusions not just to God's attributes but to our attributes and to our state of being as fallen creatures in a fallen world. Look at verse 13, for instance. He says, Oh, that ye would awake, awake from a deep sleep, even from the sleep of hell, and shake off the awful chains by which ye are bound. Then he goes down to verse 14, skipping ahead, awake and arise from the dust. And then you see later on, he's going to say in verse 21 again, arise from the dust, my sons, and be men. If, you, if you've noticed, there's this beautiful metaphorical allusion back to our first parents. Adam, when he was first created out of the dust, it's this idea of creation forms you out of the dust and, and he's saying, awake, arise from the dust, be more than just a natural created creature in a fallen world, take life, which now is going to set the stage for chapter 2 when he's talking specifically to Jacob, his young son, about agency and accountability and the redemption. So, what you will see in these two chapters, another lens you can put on is our journey through Heavenly Father's plan for our happiness, which always begins with creation, then there's a fall, and then there's the redemptive part, the atonement, and it's, it's scattered throughout these two chapters. In other words, we're going to be far less likely to want to turn to the Savior and rely on him if we don't feel the need. If, if, we're, if we don't recognize that we're sick, we won't seek out the physician. These chapters help us recognize our fallen nature and our characteristics, perfections, or lack thereof, and our attributes that, that 
separate us from God and help us rely more fully on the Savior Jesus Christ to help us to grow up to become more like him and take on more of his attributes. And so we'll finish uh, chapter 1 in verse 23. He says, Awake, my sons, put on the armor of righteousness, shake off the chains with which ye are bound, and come forth out of obscurity and arise from the dust. That's one of the most powerful nutshell descriptions of our fallen state that I know of and of our complete need for and dependence on Jesus Christ to help us overcome this fallen nature that we've inherited and in some cases magnified by, by the choices we've made. So after speaking to Laman, Lemuel, Sam, his, his other grandchildren, and Zoram, then you get into chapter 2 with his uh, final words to Jacob. And again, you can look for the attributes of Christ in the, the symbols, and sometimes you don't have to look very hard because it's just obvious, and we're going to see it throughout chapter 2. Because here, he's going to be teaching this incredible topic, th this even doctrine of agency, but it doesn't come, agency doesn't come alone. Agency always comes with its partner, accountability. Now, we live in a world that wants to, to teach agency in the form of personal freedom. But the world we live in, our society, our culture, doesn't want to teach accountability. And so, it's fascinating to read chapter 2 through the lenses of both companion doctrines being necessary. Now, this is important for us to, to contemplate for a minute because if we're not careful, what we end up doing is we, we think that God is up in heaven looking down at the earth and feeling upset because people are having fun. And so, he has to create rules or commandments or laws to prevent people from having a good time or from, from enjoying life. And that's a very false notion of God. Our Heavenly Father is not trying to prevent us from having fun. He's trying to help us find lasting, enduring joy and enduring relationships. And because we are fallen by nature of what we've inherited from Adam and Eve, and because we live in a fallen world, there are going to be all kinds of things that certain parts of us would like to do, but if we do those things, it would lead us further away from joy because it's masked in this temporary pleasure or what, what the world would, would portray as living in, in happiness and total freedom, which ultimately leads to chains and bondage and bringing us down further into the dust, turning us more into the, or focusing more rather, on the natural aspects of our existence rather than the eternal aspects of our existence. That's why I love the statement from President Russell M. Nelson from his talk, Think Celestial. This is so profound when he says, 
the very things that will make your mortal life the best it can be are exactly the same things that will make your life throughout all eternity the best it can be. So, God isn't up in heaven saying, how can I prevent them from having fun? God is up in heaven saying, oh, how can I prevent them from falling into misery and destruction and, and death that, that lasts forever? And so, he gives us these commandments, he gives us our agency, and we have accountability to how we use that agency, and now let's watch how this plays out on the page. So, jump in. 2 Nephi chapter 2, verse 1, And now, Jacob, I speak unto you, thou art my firstborn in the days of my tribulation in the wilderness, and behold, in thy childhood thou hast suffered afflictions and much sorrow because of the rudeness of thy brethren. Lehi is acknowledging, Jacob, you were born in the wilderness of my affliction. You've had a very rough start, but then the next word he uses is nevertheless, to put greater emphasis on what comes after the word nevertheless. Nevertheless, Jacob, my firstborn in the wilderness, thou knowest the greatness of God. I think Lehi is passing on this this not just prophetic wisdom, but his parental wisdom to his young son, because Lehi has experienced some intense opposition and struggles in his life, and it's through those difficult passages of his life or parts of his life that he has come to know more fully the greatness of God. And then he says, he will consecrate thine afflictions for thy gain. So again, brothers and sisters, this is not just a story about Lehi on his deathbed talking to his young son. This becomes a handbook for us in the latter days, in the 21st century, to see more clearly some of these attributes, characteristics, and perfections of God, of how he treats people back then and how he treats people today. That God is capable of taking those very difficult periods of your life, and some of you are passing through some of those right now, but if you turn to God instead of turn your back on him, Repenting, as President Nelson has, has clearly taught, metanoia is to turn to God, it's to change the way we think, the way we see God, the way we see life, the way we see each other. We change our life and we focus more on him and all of a sudden he can now consecrate our afflictions for our gain. So it becomes an applicable principle in our day, not just for, for young Jacob 2,600 years ago. And then he goes on to say, Wherefore thy soul shall be blessed, and thou shalt dwell safely with thy brother Nephi, and thy days shall be spent in the service of thy God. And now, my favorite part, wherefore, this cause and effect word, because of all of these things that have come in verse 1, 2, and the first half of verse 3, the outcome is, wherefore, I know that thou art redeemed because of the righteousness of thy Redeemer. You'll notice it wasn't because of the righteousness of your choices or because you're such a good kid. Jacob, you're going to be redeemed because of Jesus Christ. That is one of the central messages of not just the Gospel and the Book of Mormon, but, but of everything we hear from the prophets. It's to try to connect us with Jesus Christ because that is the only source of eternal joy and eternal salvation. Heavenly Father's great plan of happiness 
It's not to prevent us from having fun. His whole plan is centered around connecting us with Jesus Christ so we can use the attributes of his perfect atonement for us in order to grow and develop and to become more like him and more like God because that's ultimate happiness. And then watch for God's attributes in verse 4. And thou hast beheld in thy youth his glory, wherefore thou art blessed, even as they unto whom he shall minister in the flesh. For the Spirit is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the way is prepared from the fall of man, and salvation is free. Some of God's attributes are stated on the page, and some of them are implied. They're, they're, they're not written out, but they're there. The, the implication is there, and salvation is free, is loaded with implied principles and, and attributes of God, which now brings us into his discussion of our agency followed by our accountability. Look at verse 5. Men are instructed sufficiently that they know good from evil. So, in other words, before I can really have agency, I need to be able to know good from evil. Without a knowledge of what's right or wrong, I don't really have freedom of choice that would help lead me to becoming more like God. I would, I would be free to choose, but it wouldn't be ultimate agency if I don't know. That's why if you want more freedom, if you want more liberty, if you want more agency and to become more like God, study more. Learn more from heavenly sources and from divine uh, places as many truths as you can. Uh, Elder D. Todd Christofferson said something along the lines of, if, if you want more freedom, more, more agency, learn as many of God's laws as you can and keep them. That's how to get more freedom. So, men are instructed sufficiently that they know good from evil, and the law is given. Notice, the law is given unto men, and by the law no flesh is justified. God gave the law not to prevent us from having fun, but to help set up those, those guideposts for us to keep us on the straight and narrow path, to keep progressing to become more like him. The law doesn't save. The, the law doesn't give you rewards for keeping it. The law punishes when you break it. And he tells us that. The, uh, by the law, no flesh is justified. Or by the law, men are cut off. The law is only focused on justice. Speaking of Adam and Eve, yea, by the temporal law, they were cut off. And also by the spiritual law, they perish from that which is good and become miserable forever. Now, can you see our state of being, our conditions? Can you see how desperately we need a Savior? Because we can't rely on our own keeping of the law, because the law is only going to cut us off. So, verse 6, wherefore, redemption cometh in and through the holy Messiah, for he is full of grace and truth, more attributes of God. I want to be more like him, which means when faced with opportunities today or this week or this month, 
where I might be able to bend the rules. I might be able to tell a white lie. I might be able to get away with something. I, I might be able to lie, cheat, or still. It's an opportunity to pause and say, wait a minute. Do I want to become more like the devil who is a being who takes things that don't belong to him, who deceives people, who gets them to believe things that aren't true? Or do I want to become more like God? So, he's a God of, who is full of grace and truth. And at that point, because of what I've learned in my scripture study and what I feel from the Holy Ghost, it can actually give me power in those moments of temptation or moments where I might feel weak to call upon the name of Jesus Christ to say, help me. I want to be more like thee and less like the devil and less like these natural tendencies that I feel inside of me. Help me to become more like thee, uh, a, a being of more truth than in the past. So, are you seeing how then scripture study translates into this, this world that we're trying to create above the scripture page where I can actually see more clearly the target, Jesus Christ, who I'm trying to become like. So, redemption doesn't come from the law. It doesn't come from me. Jacob, you're redeemed because of the righteousness of your Redeemer, so I need to connect more with him. Verse uh, 7, behold, he offereth himself a sacrifice for sin to answer the ends of the law. So, the lawgiver comes down, perfectly keeps the law, answers all the ends of the law, and then his reward is he gets punished for and in behalf of me for all the times that I broke the law that he perfectly gave and kept and preserved. He now gets judged according to my deeds and my words, and he is found guilty and he is punished to the full extent of the law to help me better discover who I am and who I can become through his truth and grace and goodness and knowledge. I love verse 8, wherefore, how great the importance to make these things known unto the inhabitants of the earth, that they may know that there is no flesh that can dwell in the presence of God, save it be through what? Now look at these attributes, the merits and mercy and grace of the Holy Messiah, who layeth down his life according to the flesh and taketh it again by the power of the Spirit, that he may bring to pass the resurrection of the dead, being the first that should rise. I love this. And then he goes on to talk about the intercession and how all men have to come to him in order to get to God. And then look at verse 11. For it must needs be that there is an opposition in all things. And then he expounds on that. There has to be an opposition in all things. If not so, my firstborn in the wilderness, righteousness could not be brought to pass. If there weren't a choice to be made, you wouldn't really have agency. There has to be an opposition for you to have this true test of mortality that the, the Lord has set up for us. So then you turn the page over, you get to verse 13, and he gives you this long list of things that are reliant on other things. He says, if you shall say there is no law, you shall say there is no sin. If you say there is no sin, you'll say there is no righteousness. And then he goes all the way down this list. 
telling us about the difference between things to act and things to be acted upon. And brothers and sisters, we are not objects that were sent here to this earth just to be acted upon. I get that sometimes that's what happens, but the reason we're here is to act, to use our agency to learn as much as we can, to discover the laws of God, to face the opposition. Oh, and by the way, there's a qualifier for that opposition in verse 16. It says, wherefore the Lord God gave unto man that he should act for himself. Wherefore man could not act for himself, save it should be that he was enticed by the one or the other. So the opposition has to actually be enticing for it to be a true test of our character. And then he shifts into the rest of this uh, chapter talking about the fall of Adam and Eve and the opposition that existed in the, uh, in the Garden of Eden. If you look at verse 15, you get the forbidden fruit and the tree of life. They were planted together in the midst of the, the garden. Then you get uh, the description here in verse 25, Adam fell that men might be, and men are, that they might have joy. And the Messiah cometh in the fullness of time that he may redeem the children of men from the fall. I love this. He doesn't say, and the Messiah shall come in the fullness of times that he may condemn those who can't perfectly keep the gospel and perfectly be a husband or a wife or a mother or a father or a brother or a sister or fill in the blank with whatever relationship you want. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son into the world. He, he sent his son to save us. He didn't send his son to condemn us. So now you'll notice it says, because they are redeemed from the fall, they have become free forever free in God's context of our agency. We're free forever, knowing good from evil to act for themselves and not to be acted upon, save it be by the punishment of the law at the great and last day. So, we can either choose to keep the law or we can choose to be punished by the law that God has given because accountability and those consequences can't be removed. Verse 27, wherefore men are free according to the flesh, and all things are given them which are expedient unto man, and they are free to choose liberty and eternal life through the great mediator of all men, if we choose to think celestial, as President Nelson has said, or to choose captivity and death according to the captivity and power of the devil, for he seeketh that all men might be miserable like unto himself. So, to finish this off, when you put on the lenses of looking for God's characteristics, perfections, and attributes, and looking for our own state, our own characteristics, lack of perfections, and our own attributes, and the, the, the absolute need that we have for the Savior to help us, then as we pray to God to help us rely more upon the merits, the mercy, and the grace of the Holy Messiah, he will answer those prayers. I don't know how, I don't know when, and I don't know what it will look like for you, but I know 
he will answer those prayers and he will extend his mercy and his grace and his goodness to us as we continually seek him and to know what he would have us do and to see him as a loving father in heaven rather than an angry deity who's looking at us with with furrowed brow and folded arms because we're not perfect. But we can turn to the Savior trusting that we will find a God of mercy and a God of grace. That's my prayer for me, my family and loved ones, and for all of us collectively as we try to move forward on the covenant path together. And I leave that with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Know that you're loved. As you find learning paths in the Gospel Explorer this week, you can take the left path to immerse yourself in a study of prospering in the land through keeping the commandments of God. Obedience truly brings blessings. The middle pathway focuses on the concept of being redeemed by the righteousness of our Redeemer. This path will even lead you to the well-known talk by Brother Brad Wilcox called His Grace is Sufficient. The third pathway will guide you into a study of the fall of Adam and Eve. All of these resources are designed to help you dive deeper and become closer to Jesus. We hope that this week's selection of videos helps you to feel the love of God to a greater degree in your lives. Thank you.